You're listening to Marist Connections, a podcast produced by the Marist Alumni Office, highlighting members of the Marist family, including alumni, students, faculty, staff, coaches, and many more. Hi, everyone. My name is Amanda Benton. I'm an Assistant Director of Alumni Relations at Marist and a graduate from the class of 2011. For the fourth season of Marist Connections, we're bringing you stories of alumni and faculty authors and their experiences with writing and getting published. Today's guest is Carol Rink, professor and author of three books on teacher career development. Hey, Carol. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course, glad to have you. Dr. Carol Rink is an associate professor of education, the assistant dean for the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences, and interim associate dean for teacher education. Carol teaches courses in STEM methods, partnering with local schools and community organizations to develop authentic learning experiences, and maintains an active research agenda. She's also a founding member of the Creating an Inclusive Community Dialogue on Addressing Race and Racism in College Classrooms. Her book, Why Half of Teachers Leave the Classroom, Understanding Recruitment and Retention in Today's Schools, dives into why teachers leave the classroom, a vital topic for education continuity. The statistics are bleak. Almost 50% of new teachers leave the profession within their first five years in the classroom. Through eight in-depth case studies, the book clarifies the factors influencing teacher career paths, depicts the toll that teacher attrition takes on the teachers themselves, and argues for placing teacher voices at the center of their own career development. Thank you for joining us, Carol. Before we jump into your book, we've been asking everyone, um, how have you been dealing with the pandemic? I know it's getting a little bit back to normal, and I know you're here in the Hudson Valley, but kind of what has that experience been for you? Yeah, it's been an interesting year for all of us, right? Um, I think in particular, um, one of the things that's been kind of an adventure is that I teach this very hands-on and interactive STEM methods course. Um, so I had to really devise some new ways to do those interactive experiences with the Marist students this year, um, sometimes in the classroom, sometimes over Zoom. Um, but the students have been really on board and really willing to you know, work with me. So I think you know, in the end, we had a really positive experience, but it's definitely been, definitely been an adventure this past year. Yeah, definitely a learning experience as well. Um, so the field of education is quite broad. What started your interest in this topic of teacher attrition and how did you decide that that was something you wanted to center your research on and write a book on? Yeah, that's a great question. So the book really comes out of my own personal experiences um, as a teacher. Uh, when I was a novice teacher, when I was a first year teacher in the New York City Public Schools, um, I watched uh, at the end of that first year, I watched 11 out of the 13 teachers in the middle school where I was teaching leave teaching. Wow. Um, and this was really shocking to me, um, but it was also really generated a lot of curiosity. Um, you know, I was surprised, but I really wanted to kind of understand why this was happening and what was the impact on the teachers, what was the impact on the students themselves. Um, so after a few more years of teaching, this curiosity really led me back to graduate school um, to kind of study this, um, to study this phenomenon. And, you know, in graduate school, I really wanted to study this situation, this revolving door in action. Um, I wanted to see how teachers were making these decisions about their careers in real time. Um, a lot of the research that had been done on this before looked back, um, you know, at these career decisions and teachers leaving the classroom, um, you know, in the past. And I really wanted to see how it kind of unfolded in real time. Um, so this led to this line of research. Um, and 
as part of this research, I ended up studying um, a whole group of new teachers um, in a large urban district over the course of a year. Um, so I followed them for a year, kind of watching what their experiences were in school, watching um, their career decisions unfolding over time. Um, and then as a new faculty member um, in my first job, I was kind of curious about what happened to those teachers and how did those careers uh, you know, actually unfold over a longer period of time. So seven years later, I went back and I followed up with the individual case study teachers to see what had happened. And that's really kind of the core of this book is that first experience in the schools and then how their careers unfolded seven years later to try to really understand this revolving door. Interesting. So with these case studies, obviously there's thousands of teachers, it's probably even just in New York. How were you able to select or did they come to you? Did you go to them? Did you follow more than that and then narrow it down to eight as you were writing or kind of what was that process? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I worked within one large urban district and I wanted to try to understand what the dynamics were in that one district. Um, and I would say that the teachers in some ways really selected themselves. Um, so I started with a survey and I actually distributed the survey to all of the first, second and third year science teachers because uh, I was specifically working um, with science teachers. So I distributed this survey to all first, second, and third year science teachers in this district um, and got a you know, fairly good response rate on that survey. And in one of the questions on the survey, I asked them, would you be interested in participating in a larger, you know, more in-depth study? And I got a lot of interest from teachers in that way that really wanted to share their experiences and wanted to kind of say more about their own careers in the classroom. So as you conducted these surveys and this more in-depth research, what did you find to be some of the top reasons that teachers were leaving kind of in mass from these jobs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one of the things that I think this book does that's important is that it challenges some of the common assumptions about what's happening in schools um, and especially what's happening in you know, low income schools. So there's a really common assumption or there's a common understanding that in low-income schools, in you know, schools that are located in communities of color, the teachers are leaving because of poor working conditions or challenging situations with students. Um, but that's actually not at all what my research showed. Um, so for instance, in the survey part of the um, study, 54% of the participants said that they felt like they were working in kind of a professional learning community. 43% described their workplace as collaborative and only 22% of the teachers in the survey indicated that they were dissatisfied with the working conditions. Um, and instead, what seemed to be important um, in the survey and in the case studies was their focus for their own careers. Um, so I ended up through these case studies kind of identifying teachers that were internally focused. They really envisioned themselves in a long career in education and some that were more externally focused. So they maybe uh, were interested in teaching for a little while, but then had kind of other interests outside of the field of education, they saw it as more of an exploration as opposed to a long-term career. Um, and one of the things that I discovered when I went back and followed up with them seven years later is those original intentions held true. So all of the teachers that had this internal focus were still in the field of education. And 75% of the teachers who had this external focus had moved on to other careers. Um, so what I really found through this study is that teachers knew their own intentions, um, you know, sometimes better than the policymakers did. Um, and so that they really knew what they envisioned for their careers and they followed those paths. And so it's important then to 
listen to the teachers, listen to their voices, um, and have them play a role in the policy making down the road. As you said, over 50% of new teachers are leaving the profession, whether that was premeditated or intentional or not. What effect does that attrition rate have on the school system and even the children's ability to learn? Yeah, it's really important issue that schools are facing. Um, and especially, you know, the book was um, published in 2014, but, you know, even more so today where the teacher workforce is growing by almost 6%. Um, and we're looking at you know, 1.6 million teachers uh, retiring in the coming years. Um, so there really is a need for teachers and there's a need for kind of a stable workforce. One of the things that schools are facing um, with this um, high rate of attrition is that it's a very expensive issue for school districts. So um, districts spend a lot of money recruiting and supporting new teachers to really get them into the career. And some estimates have put um, the cost into the millions annually for districts, for large districts that are recruiting and supporting new teachers. Um, but like you said, most importantly, it actually has an impact on the students themselves. Research shows that teachers are really increasing their pedagogical skills in their first three years in the classroom. Um, so if they leave before the third year, um, it's really impacting the uh, instructional experience that students are having. Um, but even more so, there's actually been some research that has shown that if there's high turnover in the school overall, it leads to student achievement across the school, even if the teacher in the particular classroom with the student um, is still there. So it really has an effect on the community as a whole. Wow. So Marist actually has a large number of alumni who work in the field of education. Obviously, you're one of the yeah. professors at Marist. What advice would you offer, I guess, first to those in leadership positions to help counteract teacher attrition? I know you talked about, you know, listening to their voices, um, but is there a specific actions that they can take to make their school feel more welcoming and inclusive and to keep the teachers longer? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's really important to think about um, the issue of teacher recruitment and retention, not only as an economic issue, I think it's really been considered an economic issue in the past, but also as a human issue and to really give voice to the teachers themselves um, in terms of shaping their own careers. Um, so, I mean, my first piece of advice to school leaders would be to ask the teachers themselves what they want out of their careers um, and what types of support are to them um, and give them a voice and give them agency in shaping some of those policies. So then on the counter side of that, and you probably have to give this advice, advice often with your students, but what advice do you give to those who are accepting their first teaching job or just entering the workforce? So, um, so I think I would give the same advice, advice to new teachers just entering in the field, which is that uh, you have control over your career and you have agency as an educator. Um, and so you can really seek out the learning and the growth experiences that are most meaningful to you uh, to make the most of your teaching career. As I said earlier in your introduction, this is actually one of three books that you have written. Um, do you have plans for future books? Right, so this was um, this was my first book and there've already been two follow-ups to this book. Um, the second one was published with um, my research partner, Lynette Mawinney in 2019. Um, there has to be a better way, lessons from former urban teachers. Uh, it was published with Rutgers University Press. And this book 
really looked at the subset of teachers who had left the classroom. Um, one of the things that we discovered in the research is that um, it was difficult at times for teachers to shift into other careers. Um, and so we looked more closely at um, you know, the paths of the teachers that left and really tried to understand um, that group in a little bit more detail. Um, and then in 2020, we also worked on an edited book, Opportunities and Challenges in Teacher Recruitment and Retention, that looked at some promising directions, um, but also some persistent challenges in the field, including diversifying the teacher workforce and also promoting teacher self-care. Um, so what we're looking to in the future, and we've actually just submitted um, a research grant to do this work, um, is to look specifically at teachers of color in schools and to try to understand how their experiences might be unique uh, within the larger group of educators. As someone who's written multiple books now and is hoping to write again in the future, do you have a set timeline or set way that you tend to write? Or what's kind of your uh, modus operandi for actually getting a book down on paper? So this is a great question. I mean, I think one of the best pieces of advice that I've been given about writing um, is to always um, leave a sentence unfinished um, because what will happen is that if you leave a sentence unfinished uh, you kind of think about it when you leave your computer you think about it overnight sometimes it even works its way into your dreams and then you wake up the next morning and you're excited to finish that sentence um, so you know right how to you know just how to begin because you already kind of um, know what the next stage is so i find that i get into a little bit of a flow when i'm writing um, and i do find that it takes some concentrated time i do tend to work on it over the summer when I'm not teaching courses. Um, and that when, if you can get into that flow and kind of get your brain working on it, you know, um, you know, over and over again, that you, it really does kind of just um, flow onto paper. And I would also say that, you know, um, as with many things in life, if you're, if it's a topic that you're really passionate about, it doesn't feel like work and it just comes naturally. Yeah, you hear that a lot when you talk to both writers and people in any profession. If it's something that you're you're interested in and you're passionate about, then it's gonna gonna be a lot easier than if you're trying to like slog your way through something that you're not particularly you know passionate for. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really great advice with the unfinished sentence. Do you have other advice for alumni or students who want to write their first book or even looking to get published on something? Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that um, was really valuable for me is to understand that the audience for books is different than um, other audiences. And so even if you've written, you know, for kind of um, popular press, or if you've written for scholarly journals, um, that writing a book is a little bit different and you really do have to envision who is the audience, you know, who are your readers and who is it that's reading this book. Um, and to try to understand their mindset really is helpful as well. Thank you so much. So before we close, would you mind reading us a short excerpt from Why Half of Teachers Leave the Classroom? Absolutely, I would love to. Um, so I'm going to read a section from the middle of the book. Um, it's from a chapter called Those Who Shifted. Um, the book is really divided into um, kind of the stories of the teachers that stayed in education um, or stayed in the classroom, I should say the stories of those who shifted into other related roles and the stories of those who left the field of education altogether. Okay. Um, and so I'm going to just read a little bit of a section from one of the case study teachers who I call Mitch. Um, Mitch was the Teach for America Corps member um, and he chose that path. He talks a little bit about choosing that path in this story. 
Um, and one of the reasons that I selected this excerpt is because I think Mitch's story challenges a number of the assumptions about teachers. Um, so he's a young man from a military family who always wanted to be an elementary teacher. Um, he has a doctorate in chemistry and then returned to the classroom. Um, and he's also a Teach for America teacher who stayed in the field of education long-term, um, not just for his two-year commitment. So I think his story kind of challenges some of our assumptions and shows how these uh, individual stories are really vital. Although he has spent many years outside of the South, it is still possible to detect a slight Southern drawl in Mitch's speech. Born in North Carolina and raised in Maine, Virginia, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, and Nebraska, he grew up in a tight-knit military family where his father advanced from enlisted radar technician to director of computer networks while his mother raised the children. Moving every few years, Mitch attended a variety of schools from a predominantly low-income elementary school where he was one of a handful of white children to an arts magnet middle school to a highly academic high school where he graduated as class valedictorian. Poised to enter the Air Force, Mitch's plans were derailed by back surgery. He ended up attending a local university on a full scholarship while living at home, a decision he regretted because of the lack of student life on campus. Growing up, Mitch always felt a strong connection to his teachers and for many years dreamed of becoming a teacher himself. Mitch explained, from kindergarten through junior high, my dream job was to be an elementary teacher. We had to do a report on jobs when we were in eighth grade and I did it on elementary school teachers because that's what I wanted to do. He always held a deep respect for his high school teachers, commenting on his chemistry teacher in particular. I think that's why I'm a chemistry teacher. It's because of him. It's just the way he explained things and he expected so much out of us and we learned so much. Mitch's connection with his former teachers continues to this day through annual Christmas cards, graduation announcements, and even a trip back across the country in honor of his former choir teacher's retirement. Although Mitch always felt drawn to education, his parents wanted their academically talented son to enter a more prestigious and lucrative field. He explained, my family and others kept saying, you're going to waste yourself if you're a teacher. It's like I'd be going down if I was a teacher. And they said, why don't you be a doctor? Always, why don't you be a doctor? Nobody ever said anything except doctor. Because of his pressure to go into medicine, Mitch entered college on the pre-medical track and earned dual degrees in both biology and chemistry. But he noted, I just kept chugging along, but I really wasn't into it. Toward the end of college, when Mitch was faced with choosing his next steps, he began to shy away from medicine, noting, I just felt like I can't do it. Because for me, my dream is to have a family and I don't want something where I'm sitting down having dinner with my family and I get called and you have to go and help this patient, which I mean, that's what I'd have to do. But I don't want a job that makes me sacrifice my family. Based on his concerns about work family balance and his lack of interest in the field, Mitch decided to forego medical school, still holding on to his interest in education. I always still wanted to be a teacher and I got in huge fights with my parents because I'm like, I'm just gonna go get an education degree. However, after researching graduate schools in education, Mitch discovered there were far more financial incentives to further his training in the sciences. Noting, if you go to grad school in chemistry, you're gonna get paid to go to school and you will get the degree out of it. So I went to grad school in chemistry because I knew they would pay me and it was a direct doctorate program. 
Mitch enrolled in graduate school in South Carolina in order to be closer to his grandparents and selected a program with a strong education focus, where he worked with several national leaders in chemical education. During graduate school, Mitch also chose an advisor who allowed him the flexibility to work as a teaching assistant for all five years because he knew I loved to teach. Against his parents' wishes, at the conclusion of graduate school, Mitch decided to apply to Teach for America and was accepted into their William City Corps, his third choice location. He explained that he chose Teach for America because it allowed him to give back while also trying out the field of teaching he had dreamed about for so long. Mitch explained, my parents were really against me going into Teach for America, and I just said, I'm doing it. I have to do this because it's something that I need to know. Although Teach for America core members are typically placed in the most, most challenging school contexts, Mitch ended up meeting a human resources official at the district office who directed him to an all-girls citywide magnet school with high academic standards. He accepted a position there teaching high school biology and chemistry and stayed for two years. Awesome. Thank you for sharing a portion of your writing and the start of Mitch's story with us, as well as taking time out of your schedule to chat with us about why half of teachers leaving the classroom, understanding recruitment and retention in today's schools and related topics. For those listening, thank you for joining us for season four of Marist Connection, where we highlighted Red Fox authors. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can keep in touch and know every time we post a new episode of Marist Connection. We'll continue to bring you conversations with alumni, as well as students, faculty, staff, coaches, and others essential to the Marist community. If you have a suggestion for a future podcast theme, please email maristalumni at marist.udu. Be sure to also check out Marist Alumni on Facebook and official Marist Alumni on Instagram. Have a great day, everyone.